I always wanted to study alien languages. I have an ear for them. And a gift for understatement. I was going to attend the university in Nairobi. Both my parents taught there. About a week before I was due to start, they were uh, killed in a shuttle accident. My older brother, too. I'm so sorry. After I just couldn't go to campus, their absence was everywhere. I moved in with my grandmother, but I just didn't feel like I fit anywhere. Anyway, she was in Starfleet when she was young, and she always used to talk about it, and well, I didn't know what else to do. So you ran away to Starfleet? Yes. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me shepherding Mahani through the galaxy are... Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudy Kuspaker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we're in our 101st episode, moving forward at warp speed towards the next 100, looking forward to it. Um, this is the second episode of the first season of Strange New Worlds, um, Children of the Comet. Hey, follow us on social media. We're at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You should also tell your friends about us because we're cool. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so more people can find out about us. And this is the part where we warn you that if you don't like your spoilers, uh, don't listen to this podcast because we are going to spoil Children of the Comet. We're going to spoil other Star Trek. Usually we also spoil some other random stuff. Uh, as much as I want to spoil Top Gun Maverick, I haven't yet watched that movie. It hasn't come out yet, but I'm very excited for it. So as soon as I find out about that one, I'll make sure to spoil it on this podcast too. So ye be warned. All we right. Haven't, um, we haven't really spoiled the real future yet, though, even though we keep talking about it. Yeah. Predict what's going to happen. <laughs> one of these days, right? Uh, I know I know. crypto is going to bounce back. Just I know it. <laughs> I know it in my bones, man. I know it in my bones. <laughs> Just kidding, don't buy any crypto. Crypto is a scam. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as Rudy mentioned earlier, we're co- today we're going to recap the second episode of the first season of Strange New Worlds. It's called Children of the Comet. First aired on 12th of May, 2022. It's written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Sarah Tarkov. It's directed by Maya Vervillo. What a great name. V-R-V-I-L-O. Terrific name. Vervillo. Okay. It's in university. It's 21... It's in universe star date is 2912.4, which translates to 2259. Here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. While on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an uninhabited planet. They try to reroute the comet, only to find that an ancient alien relic buried in the comet's icy surface is somehow stopping them. As the away team try to unlock the relic's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent the Enterprise from interfering. I feel like this wasn't written by the normal Memory Alpha episode <laughs> summary guy. Like, there's a lot of detail here. Like, sometimes it's like, the Enterprise encounters a problem and solves it. And, and that's it. I mean, it's five full lines. That's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> well, all right. Last week, Emily, 
you, me, and Adam came together and we were all geeking out about the first episode of Strange New Worlds. And now I'm, I'm hoping that with Rudy here, we're going to geek out about the second episode too. So, but before we get to that, I got to hear from you. I got to hear your strange new takes. Uh, and, and last time I... I didn't do strange new takes about the episode, but this time I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. But you'll have to wait. I'm not gonna go first. Okay. So who's got a strange new take? Uh, I'll I'll go. I'll go. So my strange new take on life is that I was big mad that we went from cold and rainy to hot and humid in like a week. It was terrible. One week was cold and rainy, and the next week was like you walk outside and you feel like you've walked into a sauna, and I hate that. So gross. I don't like it. I don't want that kind of weather ever, but I really don't want that kind of weather until like July at the earliest. So when it does it in May, that worries me about what that portends for the rest of summer. But fortunately, the episode of Strange New Worlds, which, you know, I wonder how many times I'm going to call Strange New Worlds Strange New Takes because I'm just <laughs> getting all confused with our names now. But the new episode of Strange New Worlds, it was nice and cool. I liked it. No, I thought it was a good episode. Um, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm enjoying that it's not like these galaxy-ending crises that they're jumping to, and and anyway, it just, it's just pretty chill, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I like that, and I'm enjoying that because I, I just don't need things that add stress to my life. You know, I just want to have some enjoyment with my Star Trek. Rudy, would you like to go before me? Sure, I I think you want to go last, so I, kind of, I'll, kind I'll, of. I'll, I'll indulge you. Um, well, yeah. So for me, my strange new take. I've been away for a while, so I've like accumulated dozens of those. I think um, I'm gonna have to pick one. Um, yeah, lot, lots happened. I've moved states. I drove um, across, um, um, like drove two thousand miles with a trailer. That uh, I've never done any of that before. Um, I experienced the uh, Picard finale. Uh, that was uh, uh, crazy as well. But I'll 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 pick one. I um I happened to go to Meteor Crater in Arizona, and I think that ties to the sci-fi and and our themes here. And it was crazy. It was I didn't know it was on the way, and I just saw a sign. And it was like a ten-minute detour one way off the interstate. So uh, thank you Eisenhower Interstate System for just being. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes off meteor crater it was very windy but it was beautiful um loved it <clears throat> this um episode this series um since it's my first time talking about this series and we've waited a long time to, to to get to it i just like how the ship um the shots of the ship are so meaty and voluminous right so like before we've seen, um, you know, the Enterprise, you know, 1701D or 1701. Um, and it's kind of been like pencil sexy, but this is like, you can look at the, the base and then the cells and they're meaty. And I like that. It's yeah. It's the meaty Enterprise. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'll, I can't top that, uh, but I'll, I'll try to. Um... Uh, let's see. Well, first of all, uh, for my for my strange new take in real life, 
it really annoys me that academic regalia doesn't allow you to wear two master's hoods, which again, maybe that's just academic regalia telling you that anybody who gets two master's degree has made a critical mistake in their life somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> hey, mine relate to each other. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, there you go. You're, yeah. But you're not technically supposed to wear them both together, but I yeah. have two. I'm never going to work in academia. So I don't, I'm never going to have an opportunity to wear them ever again. So I want to wear both my hoods, but I can't. And this is all relevant because I graduate in two days from a program that I'm in. Anyway, um, getting to this episode. So I've been trying to understand what it is about Strange New Worlds that kind of is has this refreshing quality. You've referred to it, Emily. I'm feeling it. Adam has felt it. Like everybody on the internet has felt it. What is this thing that we were missing? And I think what it is. So I went back to those episodes of Discovery. I didn't watch them, but I just thought back to like, okay, what was it about those episodes when Pike and Spock and Una showed up that made us all really excited for this? And I think it's that these characters have are dealing with serious issues, but they don't have always have serious conversations. And the stakes in their interpersonal relationships don't feel very high. So it's like, it's not like, you know, there's some melodramatic stuff happening or like this conflict is going to boil over any minute. They're just charismatic people kind of having fun in space, solving problems. And if when I think back to TNG and I think back to Voyager, the two most episodic maybe Star Treks that we've had since the original series, I feel like both of those shows also had that where like you could have some problems maybe between characters, but most of the time there's just this kind of witty repartee, if you if you will. Uh, and, and, you know, they came across some alien species and some hijinks happened. And so I think that's the, that's what I've been missing. And, and it's not like Lower Decks where it's just hilarious all the time. There's <laughs> actual serious stuff to be dealt with. So, so that's my take, or that's my strange new take, if you will, on what, uh, what strange new worlds brings to the table. That's a little bit distinct. I don't know if you'll agree or disagree. Why don't we just jump off of that? Now that we've got two episodes worth of kind of atmosphere on strange new worlds why don't you tell me about your general views about the show and kind of how y'all are how it's feeling to you guys as a whole it's uh, i'll go first if that's okay mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah definitely refreshing as compared to the other two tracks um most recently running um the episodic aspect i think gives everybody a little less stress and pressure about you know as you said, Emily, trying to find some huge, big, bad thing that's developing over an arc. And then there's pressure to try and get that right. And then there's pressure to try and close that out right. Um, with episodic, um, uh, with the episodic approach, that pressure is just not there. Um, and then uh, these characters are familiar to us, I think, uh, in a way, and we probably felt that with, uh, with Picard initially in the first season, um, we've not seen them for a while, right? So there's that, you know, you're meeting people that you saw in a, in a series a while back. So there's that that benefit. Um, it's probably going to be short-lived um, because, you know, it just happens at the beginning. I do get the wit uh, side of it. Um, uh, I think that's nice. Uh, I, I do feel not the Voyager and, and TNG, maybe I'm biased, you know, did it at much more... Um, measured intervals and it was it was internal um the the wit for uh strange new worlds i has a i think has a bit of a tos flavor to it right like it's it's 
in relation to first like in contacting species and it's it's quick retort and pressure situations and things like that um like there's one shot where pike like stumbles over uh and i think i actually feel that's like an homage to like how they used to stumble over when they got shot in tos right like weirdly over the side um so uh yeah let's see how it goes it's it's definitely refreshing i think it's also um it's kind of nice to finish an episode and not be like oh how are they going to fix this next week or or how are they going to play this out it's just like I have no idea what's going to happen next week. Like, it's just going to be this new, this new romp where they go out and do something. And, and that's kind of cool. Like, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm left wanting more, but not because they, they teased this thing, you know, just because I want to see what their next adventure is. Um, and, and like what you were saying, Rudy, it's, I think that puts, that takes a lot of pressure off because there isn't the need to tie it up correctly or the way people are anticipating because when you have these long season arcs people start wrapping it up in their minds or figuring out how it's going to resolve and that no one's going to be happy (laughs) because it's just not you know it's already been done but we're all trying to figure out how they're going to do it and it's just not going to happen the way we're anticipating it but um and I also just you know I was thinking you I oh well, this kind of gets into the episode, but I, I like the way the characters interact because you can tell they all know each other. They aren't just getting to yeah. know each other. We've been dropped into the middle of their mission. Um, so they know how to work really well together. They don't even have to make, they don't have to have a big conversation in order for the bridge crew to know that they need to keep working on some stuff in the background while Pike is having a conversation with the shepherd, you know? And I liked that scene where they're showing una and i just forgot the um pilot's name ortegas ortegas i I need to learn everyone's names again too many new series i can't learn everyone's names but um uh but yeah so when when uh number one and ortegas were like doing stuff on their on their consoles you know trying to figure out stuff about the ship um i just i liked that i thought that was good to see them doing that work even though they weren't asked to they just knew to do it and I, I like how, so far at least, some of the overriding themes of Pike's accident, um, Uhura being in Starfleet, they've dropped these things that are clearly going to be touched on later in some way, uh, obviously. But they're not kind of like overwhelming the rest of the plot either. So everything that both of you have said is absolutely true. And But at the same time, we do have something that takes us, that's a thematic element from episode to episode as well. So it doesn't feel like we're just kind of seeing completely isolated snapshots every week either well um let's jump into talking about the episode in particular we this week it's it's an uhura focused episode and this is again i think something that we're gonna enjoy about strange new worlds is that the entire ensemble is getting showcased it's not just the you know show focused on like four lower deckers or uh burnham and one other person it's it's we're getting to know the entire crew potentially episode by episode. This one's Ahura's time to shine. And we open with a dinner where she reveals a tragic backstory. Now, I didn't... Did we know this about Uhura that she'd lost her parents and her brother in tragic circumstances before? I don't I didn't. that. Yeah, I didn't, but... Yeah, I, th- I, I believe it's new. I've only seen TOS once, though. Like, I've only seen every, most episodes of TOS once. I, I, I think this is new information for us about the character. So mm-hmm. she is someone who chose to do Starfleet in a moment of 
panic and weakness basically which is completely understandable you turn to something where you can like plant yourself on the ground and now she, she she's very honest so we also learned that she's somebody who uh maybe doesn't have conversational boundaries so how'd you find that whole kind of introduction to Hura in this series I liked watching how the other people in the room received the news too. Like it just was a, I don't know. I thought it was a good bit of, um, because she, because she is kind of disarmingly honest. I think, you know, no one was expecting that to be what she said. And so it just kind of like, Oh wow. <laughs> so we're going here, you know, but, um, but it were, wasn't were you, in a, were you expecting at one point for her to be said, and yes. And for a while I spent some time with the Kowat Malat and I'm also Spock's sister. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. No, but it was, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just liked the way the scene kind of played out. Um, and I also really enjoyed her, you know, I hear you speak 12 languages, 37. <laughs> I just thought that was, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I like what they're doing with her character. Do y'all remember how many languages, uh, Oshi Sato spoke. I think it was also in the, in the dozens. I that came to mind when when she said no, and I think twenty two of those were like local tribe dialects or something mm -hmm, like that. So mm -hmm. so if you do the math, like another fifteen were outside of you know that area or, or alien languages. But I mean, going back to Uhura, that. She, that's such a powerful character in Trek lore, right? All mm -hmm. the way back to uh, Michelle Nichols and 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 you know the, the first kiss, um, uh, interracial kiss on TV. I think a long while back, and then what she did for NASA and science, in in terms of getting you know girls and women involved in the early eighties. Um, I, I don't know actually if it had anything like did did they do it as a part of the whole Sally Ride, first American woman in space. Um, uh, you know, push or her involvement actually helped push that forward. I don't recall, but it was all around the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and and then, so it's definitely a very powerful role. And then going to your point, uh, Notch, on the background, I was also caught by surprise. I think she got hazed a lot uh, before, right? Mm -hmm. um, three, four instances. And maybe it was a reaction. Uh, I like how they went into the depths of her background. Um, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I've only seen that happen to, uh, to an extent in Enterprise where they like, you know, have episodes about main crew characters and really go into their background. Um, and that's the one I remember. So I, I like that. And it's, it's a style that I think has been carried out by some good sci-fi writers in the past as well. The Arthur C. Clarke books, especially the Rama mm -hmm. series. So I like that depth. I hope they stay with it and, um, you know, give it some authenticity and, and, and uh, uh, additional depth. Uh, and I love captain dinner scenes, right? Like group captain di dinner scenes, like the whole Cisco thing. And did it happen in, I mean, the enterprise ones were a little more formal, right? With the, with the chef and the cook, the, the one that we had with Pike was he was cooking. And so it was very, mm -hmm. very um, homage like the, the Cisco situation on Deep Space mm -hmm. Nine. They kind of had that with Riker a couple times, I feel like. Maybe oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Next Gen. Janeway and Chakotay having their romantic candlelit meals <laughs> every now and then. Which, I mean, it, it is, I think, very much in keeping with Pike's character that he would be this kind of... I mean, okay, cards on the table. 
Pike is a very traditional sci-fi male lead. He's totally. just perfect. He's handsome. He's charismatic. He is like, he is the least woke character in terms of characterization. <laughs> I don't mean that he's anti-woke. I mean, he's just not like, right. like he's a white, handsome white dude who's charismatic. Everybody likes him and he's perfect. Like it's, it's, it's very basic. Let's put it that way. That being said, I can't help but love the guy. Like he I cooks know. food with a little bib on and he's like washing <laughs> dishes at the end. And like, you know, he's all nice to his crew. He does this little meal that brings them all together. He's like nice to younger officers. Like, you know, which I, I don't know if, if, if this was something that you all latched onto like I did. But Una says to him, you asked that. I've heard you ask that question so many times before. Meaning he makes a point to engage his new cadets every single time. Mm-hmm. It's... um. I just love that. He's endearing. He is. He is. It is. And I, I just love that that element of the character and, and the depth that that gives us about who he is as a person, which mm-hmm. then makes the amount that he's tortured by his impending death, I think, even more kind of it raises the kind of tragedy of that in my head a little bit even more because you can see how wonderful he is. And then he's he's going headlong into this fate where he's going to be, you know, disfigured and, and live a very unhappy life after that. So um, potentially, at least he thinks he will. We don't know exactly how he's feeling inside that chair later. Were, but uh, Were any of you getting hints of Kirk? There were a few, yeah, yeah. there were a couple of lines like for sure that and yeah. facial expressions that he made. And I'm like, oh, he's doing Kirk better than William Shatner. <laughs> but, um, you know, but just like that. Anyway, yeah. I just, yeah. I think he'll probably end up being more "quote unquote" woke than Kirk. That's what they're trying to go for. Um, but I've, I don't know if we've tried this before. But and more um, woke than original Pike too. <laughs> anyway, I just I can't get used to a woman mean. on the bridge. <laughs> you yeah. know, like come on. Yeah. That was a line for that was a line for 1960s audiences. You know, it's so like those are the things that sometimes we just need to take a look at when it was made and who they're talking to. And just yeah. move on. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, Sorry, I, I interrupted that. you though. No, no, no. It's it's a good call out. Um, I don't know if we've done this before, um, or it's been done on the internet. But I'm almost like every new captain that comes about. Uh, maybe it's an it's a, it's an interesting exercise to see how much percentage of another captain that's come before they have. <laughs> I think this guy is like. You know, you have the you have the Cisco cooking five ten percent. Yeah. Um. You you have a lot of Kirk. I think that's the dominant personality mm-hmm. uh, in him. Um. A little bit a little bit self conscious uh, about the future. I don't know if that connects to anybody in particular, but yeah, I I think Kirk is the dominant personality. I I think I think personality. He connects with his crew like Janeway does. I think Janeway yeah. was the one who brought her crew together. Mm-hmm. And I think I think he has that quality of him. I think uh, Archer also had that had a similar quality. But both Archer and Picard, I feel like, were a little bit more standoffish from yes. their lower crew members. Whereas um, Cisco and Janeway were a little more uh, interactive with their Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, one other thing I wanted to quick point out before we move off the dinner scene is that, uh, A, it's adorable to watch Una and uh, Pike wash dishes after the party and have a little chit-chat. Someone on the the talk thread on our Star Trek was like, why can't they just use, like, the matter, anti-matter cleaners or whatever? Why are they washing <laughs> dishes? And it's like, dude, just, just go with it. Exactly. <laughs> just, none of this matters when the show is good. And this is the thing I was saying last week, by the way, which is that when a show is good, people set aside a lot of inconsistencies and and stuff. 
aside, like, why are they using water to wash dishes? Why don't they just make them disappear? Anyway, um, the point is, while they were doing that, though, did either of you feel like Una really looks a little bit like the sex buddy that Pike had in the previous episode? Like, he, kind, it feels like he's kind of picked out a, 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 at least a casual partner. We don't know how serious him and Captain Battle. That's the name of the character played by Melanie Scrofano. Uh, in the first episode, she kind of looks like Una, in my opinion. And I don't know <laughs> if, if y'all caught on to that at all. I didn't think um, about it, really. but Yeah, neither did I. Um, I mean, so she was his, obviously she was his first officer before. And he was like in that rut in his little cabin in, in the season um, pilot. And her being captured was one of the main drivers to uh, have him get out of it. Um, I, yeah, I've, I don't know. I don't, I, are, are you trying to say that there might be like a love triangle or something happening or, or is, does he have a type or is that what you're getting at not? I, that is what I was getting at. I was just, I just saw like, they both wear yellow shirts and they have like darker hair and they're like strong women who, you know, uh, tell him what to do and can ask him probing psychological questions. And so I, I found shades of very similar things in both of their characters. And I was just wondering if this... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see me how platonic they maintain this Una Pike thing. And I, I'm not saying I want it. I'm not shipping them. I don't really care in that sense. But it was just an interesting casting choice for at least for Captain Battle, in my opinion. But... Mm -hmm. um. To, to keep going down um, the show, so basically this leads, you know, the dinner scene kind of leads us into the um, kind of quandary of the week, which is that there's this comet that's going to hit the planet. Uh, we have a away team and it's Uhura's first away mission. I think instead of getting very granular here, let's take some broad swaths of what happens down mm -hmm. on the comet and then some broad swaths about that whole Shepard situation. Um, Number one, right off the bat, let's just get this over with. You were talking, Rudy, about how Pike is like Kirk. Samuel Kirk is like a discount James T. Kirk. He's like, oh, some, let's do some crazy things. I'm just going to be a loose cannon and do whatever the heck I want. <laughs> Travis is like, what kind of idiot goes up and touches some alien artifact? That <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and we get the classic... Samuel Kirk lying on the ground, unconscious uh, callback to his death scene in TOS. Yeah. I did turn to Travis and say, oh, he's not going to be dead, though, because he dies later. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know the stakes aren't too high. <laughs> so so what do y'all think about the whole Gomet away mission situation? I mean, it going back a, um, a step even before that, like, you know, nascent civilization, comet endangering it. These are really likable um, plots, right? For sci-fi in general, forget Star Trek. So I, I, I was hooked. Um, Uhura's first mission, away mission. Um, I, I don't know. That part always gets me. I, I think we've seen it a few times in different series as well in, in Discovery maybe. I always, I always feel that, okay, you know, your odds of getting into the academy um are um one in a thousand or more than that and then there's so much training i feel like these people should be like mechanically um uh you know almost mechanically comfortable with doing this stuff it, before it's like a true actual mission 
Um, what, what do y'all what do y'all think about that? That was the only thing that kind of caught me off guard. Were you meaning that, um, like, she should have been more prepared because she did get into the academy and had gone through that training, so she shouldn't have been as apprehensive, or? Yeah, or like she was, she was, she was, she was unsure of her first uh, away mission right. and or like you know suited mission and stuff like that. I, there was somebody else in the past as well. I don't know who it was. Was it Worf? Yeah, it was Worf, right? Uh, in first contact, he was feeling queasy. Uh, Oh, doing the space, space walk. Well, I, you know, I think it was actually an interesting line when he talks about, you know, you get the idea of how many people, how few people make it into Starfleet, how few people get assigned the Enterprise. That's how that can explain how the heroes of our Star Trek shows can solve all these unsolvable problems so quickly because they are like way beyond. None of us could get into Starfleet, in other words. So (laughs) they're all way smarter (laughs) on a whole bunch of another a whole bunch of levels. I think I think self-doubt and, you know, imposter syndrome is something that uh, is not, diff- you know, it's, it's not something that that training can always compensate for, especially when it's life or death circumstances at stake. So to me, it was more kind of that than a lack of preparation on Hoover's part. I think it also showed us that someone who's very confident and very competent can have those moments as well. So it, it worked for me, I guess. Um, I think the kind of element of you know this we've got to decipher the alien language and it's it's it speaks in song i didn't really connect with that until i realized that tos had established uhura as a bit of a singer and someone who likes music Mm -hmm. so i think that made a lot of sense that way but i'm just i it was it was it was not something i connected with initially just on its own I, it reminded me of the Prodigy episode when they had mm. the, um, I can't, but I mean, it obviously wasn't the same species, but they had those things hanging from the, uh, like some sort of gem things that were hanging. The crystals. The yeah. 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 The crystals. Yeah. Yeah. Similar acoustic, acoustically different ways mm-hmm. of speaking. We've seen this mm-hmm. in Trek before. Rudy, you were saying something? Yeah. It actually reminded me, I'm, I'm, I, I know nothing of music, so octaves and tones and what all of that but it actually reminded me of um the contact situation in close encounters of the third kind with you know those tones that ding, 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 that kind of stuff right so i actually felt it was it was the same notes but but i don't know if that's true so that, that it, music is math and math is is um uh the simplest way to communicate so that was that was nice yeah well, it's kind of one of those, like, it's just cool. Music is something that can transcend other difficulties in communication, like even in human beings. Like if you have um, Alzheimer's patients or people who are suffering with various kinds of dementia, sometimes you can reach them through music in ways that you can't when you're speaking with them. Or um, they may forget everything else, but remember tunes that they heard when they were younger or, you know, so that's like they use a lot of music therapy Um to help people, you know, kind of not, not necessarily breakthroughs, but just kind of to, to be able to reach to people that otherwise are unreachable. Um, so that's kind of cool. You know, if you think of it that way. One other quick thing before we go to break here, which is that we saw two strange new worlds. This, uh, this episode, we saw the little village on the surface, uh, with the aliens, uh, and then you saw the, the comet 
And I thought both of those were sparse, but still beautifully designed um, settings for for our episode. And I just wanted to see if y'all had any comments um, regarding those two. The, the alien almost looked, or the uh, comet almost looked like a Faberge egg. That's what it reminded me I thought me it of. was going to be a, um, somehow that it was a nursery or something. Uh, um, you know, anyway, but the, I mean, that obviously that's not the direction they went, but I wondered because of that egg shape, I wondered if that had something to do. Like, I thought maybe yeah. like all these little <laughs> babies were going to burst out after Samuel Kirk touched the egg. It becomes <laughs> Jurassic Park, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. alien cities. Yeah. Uh, something gross like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I was so glad that the, the, the upcoming civilization on the planet um, didn't start drawing like uh, 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 an enterprise vessel on the sand. I was like, yeah, we've had enough contaminants. <laughs> <laughs> it did kind of well, look like the, the the species from Star Trek Beyond, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, and they and were it, like, sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was saying that they were looking up in awe, and every time they looked up in awe, first time they got me, I was like, oh my god, is that the ship? Second time, I was like. It could be the covered, but maybe it's the ship. So I was so happy I that there was no contamination. I had the exact same thought. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, so sorry. that was exactly what I was gonna say. I was like, oh, because I, I think they were kind of teasing that that maybe it was gonna be the ship, but it was always the comet. Yeah, yeah. Because that happened in the first first episode, right? Like, yeah, yeah, day. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I mean, they explicitly used the ship to scare the Kylie people into mm-hmm. submission. <laughs> well, not the... quite, but you know what I mean. Sorry, just the, the one, one, one other part, the, like them <clears throat> coming across the tail, like flying into the tail of the comet and avoiding the debris and then go, reminded me of Armageddon and the two shuttles and, and all that. So I was, um, that was nice, it, though that, that comet, the surface of that comet was much more pleasant than the one from Armageddon, right? Yeah, also we didn't have Bruce Willis, so. Yep. Uh, all right, well, let's take a break over here and then we'll come back and talk about how Bruce Willis and his wily band of uh, oil rig workers prevents comets from crashing into Earth. <laughs> a little piece of ice and dust roaming through space brings life. I bet you not one of us could have predicted how. <laughs> I'll give you that. So just because you receive a message from the future doesn't mean you understand it. We're not talking about the comet anymore, are we? Don't throw your life away, Chris. Number one. I know you had a vision of the future, but... I made a choice. I accepted my fate. It it goes beyond my own life. What if you're wrong? What if you got that message so you could save those kids and that's it? What if you don't have to ruin your life too? How do you know you can't make a different choice? One that saves all of you. What if your fate is what you make it? Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we haven't had much of a break at all. Sometimes, dear listener, we, I say we're going to break, and then we come straight back in, and that's what happened today. So, uh, no witty repartee about whatever we were talking about in the break, because it was nothing. It's nothing that we talked about in the break. Um, I was kidding about talking about Armageddon some more. Uh, I always liked Deep Impact more as a movie, by the way. Those two came out at the same time, same plot. Better movie than Armageddon, in my opinion. But uh, returning back to Children of the Comet, uh, we the the other core element of the show was our friends, the, the good shepherds or the shepherds who are uh, shepherding the Mahanit, 
which Rudy, you and I both know what maha means as a prefix in Indian languages. Did you get did you get like Hindu deity vibes from the word mahanit? I didn't. I was thrown off by the apostrophe in the subtitles. I was like, eh, because there's no apostrophe in in maha in 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 Hindi, right? So I didn't yeah. catch that. Um, I felt um, I felt I I don't know. They were kind of like calm, calm zealots, right? They they were shooting and all, but the dude was like every time he was he was poked at by Pike, he still held uh held it together. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but, but before before you go off too far away from this, I just want to reference that Maha, M-A-H-A, means over. So Maharaja means like the over king or like Mahadeva means like the god who is above the others. So like Mahanit is the, you know, the, the ultimate arbiter as such. And <laughs> and so that that's why I was I was referencing that. But yeah, it's um, I mean, these zealots did have like extreme, extremely powerful weapons. So they knew that anything that was coming at them, they could like kind of take it out. So, you know, um, I, I I wasn't surprised that they weren't kind of like talking with a loud, shrilly voice and be like, you will die. We will like, e- annihilate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Um, and again, I, I won't jump too far ahead, but uh they kind of seem slow in, and I guess, you know, uh, over thousands of years, you don't quite question your Mahani comets and try and learn more about them. But they, it was, it was kind of funny that they hadn't quite figured out anything about the comet and how to communicate with it. And it just happened uh, uh, through this chance encounter. Also, like, I don't know, in, in sci-fi, the term shepherd has, has always carried, um, uh, positive connotation at least in my memory like you know shepherd from from um, firefly um and this was kind of a yeah letdown evil evil zealot shepherds yeah right uh, did you did you notice their head kind of like expanding and contracting as they talked the the design character design on the shepherds was kind of interesting um i didn't um i was i was intrigued by the you know apex cone kind of thing that they had and then they had like they had some like lines as well or some i don't know if those were like actual skin tones or religious markings uh he had had a beard right like there was a beard there at the bottom yeah yeah it was and i i wouldn't be surprised this was entirely an animated character like obviously i don't know if they if they had an actor play the character or not but like you know, they're clearly, they didn't show us any other, mem- which is like, this is like classic TNG, right? Like there's an entire ship full of people, but you just see like one dude sitting in a chair with some like little background behind them and we never see anything else of the alien ship. Um, I also like the design of the ship, by the way. Did y'all like the, the shepherd ship? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, it looked- oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> this could be the whole episode. <laughs> No, I just thought it looked cool, but it was, I was, did, did you all, I had to step away cause there was commotion in my house, but did you all talk about like, there seemed to be some weird filter or something? Yes. Or I, yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. Um, but yeah. And I also thought that he, that the didn't look exactly like there just seemed to be hints of similarities between the alien species on the ground and the shepherd. I thought really, I did not, not notice that. Li- Interesting. And I think it could have just been like the skin color had that kind of blue gray kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. anyway, um, and so I just thought it was interesting that it would be because then I my first instinct when I saw the shepherd was like, oh, could this be some kind of warring faction? 
and the comet is actually a weapon. And anyway, so I had those kinds of thoughts. You, you actually triggered a, a memory for me as well. So I, um, I didn't find similarity. Uh, I actually felt that the dude looked like Megamind's dad. <laughs> <laughs> but and and the spaceship looked funny. It looked like a space station on its side. Um, but it now. You know, it kind of reminds me of that TNG episode where, you know, Wesley goes and, like, damages some flowers and then is going to be sentenced to death, right? Or something like that. <laughs> and then there's, like, these overlord, overlord um, out-of-phase aliens, right? And they're, they're in, like, a space station kind of thing, which is, like, a vertical version. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, just Megamind's dad. I, so, uh, I think this element of, you know, a a species chasing a comet through the galaxy, watching it annihilate um, planets or, or just do whatever it wants as an arbiter. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's a very, very deep sci-fi, kind of hard sci-fi. Well, I don't know if it's hard sci-fi, but it's, it's deep sci-fi storyline. And I really like its kind of imaginative quality. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we, we have of course had in discovery the like, the uh, anomaly that's going to annihilate us all, or uh, we've had in Picard the, um, you know, the Europa mission or whatever, and so, so to have something like this, which is just a little bit more kind of out there on its own, like there's this ship of people chasing after a comet that they worship. <laughs> I just kind of liked it, you know, in, in oh, terms of its 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 creation. Yeah, I mean, it fits with the panspermia model of like, you know, how how life propagates through through um, through the galaxy, right? Comets bring water; they potentially bring frozen life forms, and that's potentially how life got created on Earth. That's how water came to Earth. All that fun stuff. That's one end of the spectrum and, and, you know, positive aspirational views of it. The other end of the spectrum is crazy zealots. And mm -hmm. uh, even in reality, there's the example of what happened with the Hillbop Comet in 1995. And and I don't know if you guys know or remember the Heaven's Gate cult, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I said Hillbop. I think you all missed it when I said oh, it a minute ago. Oh, <laughs> so sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. So basically uh, what we're saying is, what is it, Marvin Applegate or whatever, Applewhite? The, the Heaven's Gate guy, he was right. There was a ship trailing the <laughs> comet. Uh, and that dude in his Nikes is uh, is is on board that ship now. Um, What's his name? Marshall Applewhite. Uh, yeah, don't, mm. look, don't, don't look this up, dear listener, if you don't uh, know yeah, about yeah, it. Don't, not, don't not worth it. it. Uh, okay, well... Um, I, I liked also the way that the, the conflict was resolved. And I wanted to... To get your views on kind of the the um, the stratagem that Pike and his people use to to outwit the shepherds. So getting ahead of the comet so that they couldn't use their weapons anymore out of fear of. Do you mean like that? Like yeah, that and surrendering, have... just basically realizing we've got we have we can't use our weapons, which is so different, right? Like in yeah. in Discovery and Picard, you're always finding these kind of like solutions where you blast your way out of the problem. Yeah. It was very scrappy. Uh, it almost reminds me of um, uh, Firefly, 
and and how you know how uh, the crew there and I forget the guy's name. So sorry, Nathan Fillion's character. Um, um, Malcolm. You know, Malcolm. Yeah. Uh, Mal. How they? How they? Yeah, Mal. I can't remember his last name though. Um, how they Reynolds. get Reynolds. situations? We <laughs> keep interrupting Rudy. <laughs> Sorry, Rudy. We're not gonna. That's that's the punishment I get for forgetting one of my most favorite characters ever, right? So so it's all it's all good. Uh, so I I found that scrappy nature good. I hope we see a lot of that in the future. Like I think that's the real pull of this show. Like you said, the wit, the humor. Um, but being unpredictable, right? Um, mm. it is really important. Uh, you know, when they said that they were looking at convincing the comet to take a different direction, I actually thought they were talking about communicating with it and like the internal whatever systems of the comet like redirecting themselves. But this 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 was actually, you know, this was not that simple. This was a little this was a little more advanced and complex, and I didn't I didn't catch it. So using the 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 shielding and the heat to kind of you know. Cut the comet apart. Um, very cool. Yeah. I I missed when um. I I didn't fully understand the whole thing with the the shuttle and Spock. Like I I did or definitely missed when he like left the ship. Yeah, like, no, we I know. I don't think they showed that. I think that yeah. was kind of a ooh surprise. We got something yeah. else up our sleeve. The 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 Deus Ex Machina as such, and so um. But yeah, I, I, I like that again. It was it also involved science. Um, mm-hmm. and it was it was something that was a little bit more tangible in that way than it being something where Q comes and snaps his fingers or something like that. Or you, even the Deus Ex Machina had some basis, I guess, in, in science for working. Well, and then the comet knew ahead of time that that was gonna happen. Yes. And so so, so the, in the information. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 jump forward. So our our wily band of explorers have fixed the problem, and then we have the scene at the end where Uhura reveals that the comet had provided a image that consisted of the shard of the comet that looked exactly like the one Spock had separated. Now the Vulcan Science Academy does not believe in time travel, as we know, so it's impossible. <laughs> but. I I saw a link between that and Shepard's oh not Shepard Pike's precognition of his death. Um, that that's like there's not there wasn't really a real reason for that, like other than just ooh it's mysterious and different. It but but it does tie into the to 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 Pike's kind of view of the future. Mm-hmm. I, well, I was... actually go ahead. <laughs> I'd say that shows up in the conversation between he and Una at the end when she's like, you know, why, why are you letting what you're seeing, like, just drive everything rather than, you know, recognizing that as a moment in time, but it doesn't, that doesn't have to be what drives everything, every single step forward from this point. Yeah, I looked at it a little differently. I looked at it as like it being very blatant in writing, like, we, yeah, we saved the planet. We, um, you know, avoided the shepherds and 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 nobody got hurt. It's amazing. Now let's remind Pike that he still has to die in ten years from now because everything is predestined and and you know the comet. I mean, so that that was a little bit of a bummer for me. On the other hand, it's you know like the planet is the money. It sorry, the comet could be the money. It it basically has precognition, so 
it is potentially uh, all knowing and all that cool stuff but it just it just felt very blatant like a knife on the side of Pike when he just was feeling happy about what happened I think this gets me back to kind of the overriding um, maybe tragedy of Pike's character in Strange New Worlds like this is I, I honestly personally feel that this is what makes a series, one of the reasons it makes it so compelling is because we know what happens to Pike. We know it's going to end very badly for him. And we know that this isn't the final crew of the Enterprise. Uh, we know that there are even, even Spock and Uhura are going to go on to have other adventures. Uh, and that Pike's going to end up in a really bad way. And this episode, again, ends on that kind of tragic note where he's looking at the pictures of the crew that he's going to save someday by sacrificing his own life. And they're all like these happy little kids. And um, I, I, it has this element of like, you know, you're like, I want to watch this guy thrive and I don't want him to meet his end. I'm, I feel Una very personally when she's like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like it, you could, you could challenge fate. You could do something differently, but we all know that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. How did he know the names of the, people he saved so the way i interpret that and this is just a personal interpretation is that when he got that vision he said i think in the last episode it wasn't a vision he was actually there like he experienced it so to me he has like the like memory yeah yeah he basically has the like uh snapshot of his own mind from that point and he knew the names of everybody he'd helped Uh. because he knew them but that makes it a little more complicated because it almost feels like since he had, he, it's not like he was talking to them and getting to know their names in that memory slice, right? It's like he had the memories of what came before, like he knew them from before, which means that he has the knowledge of how, he potentially has the knowledge of how events lead up to that point as well as they come closer and closer, right? So this is a five-year mission. It looks like that's not going to happen for around 10 years. So potentially the next five-year mission, but as it gets closer, and maybe that's the, that's the lose arc, right? As it gets closer and closer, he'll, he'll have recall on how it leads up to that event, which is really fascinating, right? Like, I don't know if that's been done, done before, um, impending doom. And, and it's not, it's not a, it's not a, a fair battle, but it's almost like dealing with a terminal disease even, right? Like, you know, it's coming. And how do you deal with your life in between? And 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 this is not like other Star Trek plots like Year of Hell or other kind of dis, kind of tragic Star Trek plots where basically they're able to like, you know, inner light. They're able to like at the end be like, and it's everything's okay. Surprise, we fixed it. It's fine. No, it's going to happen. Um, and I think it strings us as the viewer along. Just You're just wishing and hoping it's not going to happen, but you know it is. And it's... I don't know, the complexity of emotions I feel in all of those scenes with him having the, his inner turmoil is 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 something that's compelling to me about this show. And, and we have precog, right? So, for example, we know what happens to Samuel, you know, Sam Kirk. We know what happens to Spock and Uhura. Um, we know what happens to Pike. But we're also intrigued about what will happen to Ortegas and Laan and people like that, right? Will they go down in history? Will they have a fiery end? Will they be... Will they go to the 29th century uh, or the 31st <laughs> century? And <laughs> Pike sends Indeed. even more people to the future. I'm sorry, we can't have you appear in the next show. So we have to send you. <laughs> Anything's possible. 
Um, just final notes here. Um, I, I hope we're not going to go into the Uhura Spock romance that we got in 2009. I hope that stuff about girlfriend was kind of like just some weird stuff that was in there for its own sake. And it's kind of strange. Um, I guess everyone has to be in love with Spock. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Uh, also flirty in their chapel. Interesting <laughs> yeah. characterization. Um, also excited yeah. to see Hammer for the first time. We've got very little about him, but apparently his species has extrasensory perception um, in interesting ways. So we'll we'll get more yeah. of that. But hey, we're coming to the end of this episode, y'all. I'm sorry to rush this, but I would like to move us along to our strange new rating. So if you have any summing up notes on Children of the Comet, let's go with those and let's stick our necks out and give this episode a rating. Which I'll go first. Like? Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go first. I'll give it um, eight splitting uh, omniscient comets out of ten. Um, I know that's a lot to write. Not sorry. Um, I, I like um, I like the I generally like the the flavor of the series, um, the episodic nature, the humor, uh, touching on well well tried art themes like you know, panspermia and civilizations that are in danger. And that's what, that's why these ships are out there, right? To do good. Um, so uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll give it a four out of five. I thought it was a good episode. Good, solid episode. So. Yeah, I'm going to go with a rating I haven't used much, strangely. Eight and a half. It wasn't kind of like, I feel like nine and ten for me are those like god tier perfection yeah. episodes. But like yeah. an eight and a half to me is like the Better, best of the better and uh, that's that's how i rate this is it's just a really solid show i think this show has now risen to the absolute top in terms of things that you would if someone says i want to watch some star trek where do i start mm -hmm. start with these two episodes mm -hmm. and you know i don't know how the rest of the season is going to be but if you like these two episodes you will like the rest of star trek and then based on someone's reaction to these two you can maybe guide them on which other series to watch and mm -hmm. stuff like that so mm -hmm. so that was kind of my that's been my i think overriding feeling after watching these is that they've they've really given us something that the casual viewer can latch onto to judge if they like star trek or not uh, more more so than even how much we like it as existing trekkies so um with that thank you emily and rudy for coming over on via zoom and talking uh strange new worlds with me it's it's I find myself excited about Star Trek week to week in a very special way, as I'm sure you do with this new series. And so it's nice to be able to come up, come together and discuss our feelings as, as a group. Yeah, thanks, Notch. Thanks, Notch. Of course. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us a little bit of your time this week. And thank you, of course, to Bill, Adam, Max, and Dinah for also being our usual co-hosts. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And special thanks to the Shepherds, because they could have blown Pike and his crew out of the air, and then we wouldn't have this great show to watch anymore. So their restraint is what really makes this awesome new show possible. So thank you <laughs> to the Shepherds for keeping Pike alive. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.